0: Please be seated. Sorry. I'm going to give you a moment if you want to uh, turn in your Bibles to uh, to John chapter one. That's where we're going to be in, in a few moments. I want to um, to begin by again inviting you back. I always invite you back. We invite you back next week for the start of our, our new sermon series. It's there in your bulletin. But if, if you didn't if you weren't here last week when I when I mentioned it, starting next week uh, a series called Conversations on the Front Porch. And uh, it, we will for six weeks look at what I believe are essential relationships in our lives, the kind of, of people that God desires us to, to have some of those conversations with from time to time. So that, uh, looking forward to that and hope you'll, you'll be there for, for all of them as, as we uh, look at somewhat of a, of a character study. Together for six weeks. And I didn't intentionally plan to to do a character study this morning, but it kind of turned out that way as as we turn to to this scripture. Before we get there, though, I want to do a little experiment with you uh, and see whether or not my suppositions are correct. I want to ask you, and you can just kind of blurt it out. We'll kind of do a little group think, but um, when you think of the disciples, those who Jesus called into that fellowship. Who's the first one you think of? Okay, Matthew. Heard a couple Matthew, Peter. Peter's Peter was what I thought most of us. Now, there's always a few that think of others, and, and, that's, and that's good. But, but Peter's uh, a prime name. Who else do you immediately think of? John. That's one of the beloved. Paul. Uh, the Apostle Paul. So, yeah, we think sometimes of Paul. Cheers. Who? Cheers. Luke. I heard Luke. Luke actually wasn't one of the Apostles. He was one of the gospel writers. Judas, yeah, Judas is one we think of. Keep going. We've got about four or five. John, m- Philip, Timothy. M- Philip, Timothy. Okay, you're, you're now you're naming Bible. You're naming scriptures. That's okay. Uh, or you're naming um books of the Bible. Andrew. And okay, Andrew. I was wondering. See, I was wanting to see how long it would take us to get to Andrew. That's kind of what I was fishing for. It was. It, it's interesting because we're going to talk about Andrew this morning. And um, Ryan and I did this yesterday. We, Tony and Cassidy are out of town this week. And Cassidy's at a cheerleading competition uh, in Daytona. And so Ryan and I were cleaning house. And uh, <laughs> I've been trained well. So, um, and, uh, so we, were, we were cleaning a little bit, little bit being the operative word. And um, we were kind of doing a brainstorm of the disciples, how many we could name. And I'll, I'll just confess to you, I, I could only get 10. I, w- I couldn't remember Bartholomew. And Simon, those are two that we don't hear too much about, almost nothing, other than them being disciples. But those were the two that I blanked on. I think I could get them all 12 now, but you'll just have to trust me. I'm not going to try. We're going to talk about Andrew this morning. So we're going to pick it up in John chapter 1, verse 29. We're going to kind of start a little bit before our focal verses, but but with this uh, role of John the Baptist, because he's an important part of this. And so John chapter 1, beginning at verse 29. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify this is God's chosen one. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, that we again today in these moments would have ears to hear. Hearts to receive your word to us, spoken by your Holy Spirit. Bless all that is said here, that it would honor you and lift up the name of Christ. For it is in his name we pray. Amen. I, uh, I, I didn't intentionally plan this with a kind of focus for two weeks in a row or a start with a focus on the dynamics of, of siblings, but it, but it kind of has worked out that way. You know, if you are here last week, I, I kind of opened with that talk or with that illustration example of of the smothers brothers and that routine they used to do uh, mom always liked you best and and kind of exploring some of that tension that, that can happen sometimes in sibling relationships. Uh, those of you with brothers or sisters may may know there's there's an interesting dynamic and it's not a universal it's it's different from family to family and siblings to sibling as as a father now of a son and a daughter, I see that it's very different between my kids than it was for me. I, as some of you know, and I've talked about before, I'm the oldest of, of three boys. So, uh, and my brothers, my youngest brother is five years younger, so Brian, the middle one, is two years younger than me. So we were, we were fairly... Um, you know, fairly tight in in the age differential. Uh, Though you know, it wasn't spread out great distances as some of you and your siblings have many, many years in between. My mom, you know, kind of we got packed in, and God bless her for three boys uh, in the household at at one time. And and the the dynamics were were unique for us. My brothers and I are very, very close to this day. They're two of my best friends. And um, growing up, that dynamic was, was more for, for Brian and I. Brian's the middle one because we were two years apart, and we were incredibly close and, and uh, had a, a, a bond there, brothers and friends. But it, it played out in some interesting ways and in the sense of I was, as he was for me, I, I was one of his biggest cheerleaders uh, he was a, a fantastic athlete, a, a great student, and, and I, you know, would cheer him on and support him and all the things he did, as he did for me. And so we were close like that. At the same time, there was nobody I hated losing to more in this world than him. Because we, being fairly close to the age, and he's a fantastic athlete, so we could compete and, and play against each other a lot. And... And um, that, that rivalry, that dynamic, that, um, well, let me just put it this way. Uh, on the tennis courts growing up or the basketball court or the ball fields, I had some of my most un like moments <laughs> with, with my brother. I mean, we would really kind of go at it. By God's grace, I was the oldest. And for many, many years, the biggest and the strongest. That has since reversed. They're both tall. That's God's sense of humor. They're both bigger than I am now. But uh, so I would win back then. Uh, but but it, it was this this interesting dynamic between us. It was funny I had we had a friend in the neighborhood when you, who was an only child like some of you are and um so so and again this is not pro or con any different families come in all shapes and sizes. But as an only child he didn't get that brotherhood dynamic and so he was out playing basketball with us one day and we I mean Brian and I were about coming to blows. I mean it was it was you know, you'd have thought we hated each other. And uh, everybody kind of dissipated. An hour later, he came back over, and Brian and I were hanging out, you know, like nothing had happened. And I remember he was just, he was just, he couldn't believe that two people could be so angry with each other and so quickly could be over it. And I said, that's just, that's our life. I mean, that's just the way it is for us. And, um, and so, so that, that took place, and that was kind of our relationship growing up, and it, and it worked for us, and, and it really wasn't volatile. It was, I think, fairly typical. But there's an interesting dynamic that happens between siblings, specifically between brothers. And there's a lot of that dynamic that plays out in the scriptures, sometimes very good, sometimes very bad. Uh, You think about the first sibling rivalry that's found in Genesis, Cain and Abel. That did not end well. Um, You think about if you're familiar with some of the Old Testament narratives, and I'm reading through the Bible front to back. We study the Bible in many different ways, but I've committed this year to going Genesis to Revelation straight. And uh, so I've been reading about Jacob and Esau and the dynamics of that relationship, Isaac and Ishmael. There's just a number of places this plays out. We get to the New Testament, we have James and John as brothers, and we have Andrew and Peter. Peter. Andrew and Peter, who were introduced here in the very first chapter of John. And Andrew is a a fascinating study because of what takes place. Andrew, like Peter, was a fisherman. He was from a family of fishermen, a day and a time when when the sons would inherit very often the the, the responsibilities and the, the job of the father, and so, so he was a fisherman like Peter, but, but it's interesting that we know right at the very beginning that Andrew was a searcher. He was a seeker uh, of truth and of learning. And, and you say, well, how do we know that? Well, because we're not introduced to Andrew as a fisherman, the way we are Peter in the Gospels. We're introduced to Andrew as a disciple of John the Baptist. John, who is, you know, we think of uh, as a very eccentric character wearing camel skins, eating bugs, you know, that voice in the wilderness kind of person, uh, but he had students, and Andrew was one of his students, and certainly he was a fisherman as well, but, but what it seems to be what defined him more was this search for, for the spiritual truth and, and for learning. And so, Andrew is following John. And what we immediately learn after John has identified Jesus, has the baptism of Jesus, that that he points to Andrew and, and, and Philip. He points Jesus out and says, that's the one I've been telling you about. And Andrew immediately begins to follow Jesus. Now, that's an interesting point right there that John's students immediately become Jesus' students, rabbi, which means teacher. And, and I will confess to you, we have to be very, very careful projecting into the scriptures. I have to be. We, we read the Bible with our own biases, our own experiences, our own visions of how things happen. I mean, think about the way you read any kind of story. You picture it. You kind of create it in your head. That's why it's so hard for us sometimes when our favorite books become movies. How many times have you read a book you've loved, it becomes a movie, and you go, they didn't cast it right. They didn't know that's not the way that happened because you create a movie. That's the power of reading. You create the scene and the vision, and so sometimes they do it well, and, and sometimes you think they completely butchered it. And it's all because you have a movie right here, and so we have to be careful when we do that because I, I do that a little bit, and, and I read this, and I think, wow, Andrew just kind of bailed on John. Now, John may have wanted him to go. There's no reason to think John had any issue with it at all because he knew his role of preparing the way. But John immediately becomes overshadowed by Jesus, and we'd say, well, he should have been. Okay, I agree. But John still was a human being. John still had feelings and emotions. And so I project into that because I know my own ego. And I think, man, Andrew just like immediately said, oh, well, there's a better teacher. I'm going to go follow him. And I I wonder sometimes how John felt, because I know my own ego, and I know that I am not the best preacher in the world. I know there are preachers out there that do better than I do. And I know sometimes people will jump ship and go, hey, well, you know what? We like that preacher better. Let's go to that church. I get that. I just don't want to know about it. I just don't want to know. I mean, that's fine. Go, you know, you know. John doesn't want to tell him. hey, you know what? We found a better musician. We're going to go over there. Those of you that teach know what that's like. You don't want your student come in and go, hey, we liked you. But you know what? He does it better. She does it better. But we know that there's a reality to that. And there's, there's some experience in that. And so I just kind of read that and I wonder whether it bothered John at all. And it probably didn't. It probably didn't at all. But he immediately becomes overshadowed by Jesus, as we all should be. And so Andrew becomes, continues his seeking, continues his searching, now as a disciple of Jesus. And Jesus gives him an invitation to come and see. And Andrew is the first disciple. He's the first that is named. And I think that's significant because we assign value to being the first, we we like to be first. We wanna be number one. And and usually it's that first who is chosen that is the star pupil. You know, we're gonna start in a few weeks. If you're a sports fan, they're gonna start gearing up for NFL drafts, and we're gonna hear all about the athletes that are projected to be the first picks because they're the best. Those who get picked in the sixth round, we won't hear as much about. We're gonna hear about the stars. I mean, you think about most of our experiences as kids. At some point or another, who of us didn't have that playground, either terror or joy of being out on the field where two captains were picking teams and you were part of the herd? And who gets picked first? Whatever, whoever's best at whatever that game or, or event is. That's, that's the way we expect it to go. And so my, my point is, here's Andrew, and he's the first. And an interesting thing happens. Andrew immediately goes, and he finds his brother. He immediately goes and finds Peter, and he says, you have got to come meet this guy. You have got to come see what I've seen, hear what I've heard, heard, experience what I'm experiencing. There's something special about this guy, Jesus, and you have to come meet him. He has invited me to follow. You need to come. And so he brings Peter to Jesus, and an interesting thing happens. Jesus looks at Simon, and if you know the entire gospel narratives and and what he says, he he gives him a new name. He says, you are going to be Cephas. You're the Peter. In in, in In the other gospels, it says, you're the rock on which I will build my church. Now, just stop for a moment. Andrew was first. Andrew was the searcher. Andrew was the one who was already on this spiritual journey. He made a commitment to Jesus too. But his brother who comes after him is the one that gets a special anointing. And Peter is the one for the rest of the Gospels you're going to hear the most about. Peter's the one who's going to be front and center for the first half of the book of Acts. Peter's the one who is the the patron saint of of Rome. and, And I mean, is... Peter. Peter's the one most of us, not all of us, but most of us think about. He gets all the attention. And Andrew kind of slides down the run. Andrew, who, you know, we eventually get to Andrew. We named him finally. But he wasn't the first, not on our list. He gets overshadowed. And I wonder what Andrew thought. Now, there's nothing, again, in the scriptures that indicate Andrew ever had any problem with any of this. And, and I wanna be clear about that. I, I just wonder, because I love my brothers, but I don't know how well I'd have taken that. And I don't know how well any of us, I mean, do we not struggle sometimes when we think we've put in the effort We've worked just as hard. We've earned it just as much. And somebody else is getting our glory. Somebody else is getting the attention. Somebody else is getting the recognition. Somebody else is getting the praise. And it doesn't seem fair when we feel ourselves overshadowed by someone else. And I think we've all had a moment like that. I don't care what you do, who you are, may have been in a church, may have been in your job, may have been in your school, a moment when somebody else takes we feel, takes our spot and gets our recognition. Now, what is so significant about Andrew is not whether or not that was what he felt. But what's significant is if he did, it's what he did. It's the example that he gives us of faithfulness, even if he may have felt that Peter got all the glory. And what I mean by this is no matter how Andrew felt, this is what we do know of Andrew. This is what we don't have to speculate about. Andrew never quit. Andrew never quit. He stayed with Jesus. He continued to follow. He's mentioned a few times in the Gospels, but in the book of Acts, When the Holy Spirit comes upon them at Pentecost, we know Andrew was there because it says the 11 were gathered together. Andrew, because Judas had died, was one of the the 11, then the the new 12. He was a part of that experience of Pentecost. And the history and the tradition of the church tells us that Andrew became one of the missionaries for Christ and went out to serve. And he went all the way like all the others or most of the others, with the exception of one of the disciples, he went all the way to his death for Jesus. The tradition of Andrew is that like his brother Peter, he was crucified. But like his brother Peter, he wasn't unwilling to be crucified the way Jesus was. Remember, if you know the tradition of Peter, he said he was unworthy to die as Jesus died, and he was crucified upside down. The, The tradition of Andrew is that he was crucified on a crux decasata, which is a, cru- a, a cross in the shape of an X. Because like Jesus or like his brother, he didn't want to die as Jesus had died, didn't feel worthy of that. And so if you ever see a cross that's in the shape of an X, it's called a St. Andrew's cross. But he never quit. Now, why does that matter? Because let's, let's be a little honest with ourselves. Do we not have the tendency, the impulse, sometimes when we don't feel we're getting the recognition we deserve, when people aren't treating us the way we think we deserve or should be, our tendency sometimes is to say, fine, I'm going to take my ball and go home. I quit. You don't appreciate me. You don't value me. You know, I'm done. And we walk away. And it happens in the church all the time because we're human beings and it's okay to have those feelings Andrew may have had those feelings, but he never quit. And he never stopped. Now, you say, wait a minute. And that's that kind of the same thing as he never quit? Well, not really. Because this is what I think is even more significant about Andrew. Andrew knew what he was called to do. He knew what his gift was. He knew what he could contribute, and he never stopped doing it. And this is what I mean. Right here. In John chapter 1, when Andrew meets Jesus, what is his first impulse? i got to go bring somebody else to meet him. i got to go find Peter. Somebody else needs to meet Jesus. Not only have I met him, but somebody else needs to meet him. And the scripture says he brought Peter to Jesus. And it changed the course of history. In John chapter 6, there's a miracle that many of us are very familiar with. It's a miracle of a feeding of the multitude in which Jesus takes the lunch of a young boy, a few loaves and fish, and he feeds the crowd. Do you know who brought the boy to Jesus? Andrew did. I never caught that. I never caught that until I started preparing for this sermon. It never jumped out at me. Andrew brought him to Jesus. John chapter 12. There's a group of Greeks that want to meet Jesus. And they talked to Philip. And the scriptures say very interestingly, Philip, who's a disciple, went and got Andrew to facilitate the connection. Andrew brought people to Jesus. That's what he did. On his tombstone, that's what it would say. He brought people to Jesus. What a powerful testimony. And he never stopped doing it. You see, what happens is there's another tendency we fall into. And we think if we're not getting the recognition we deserve for doing what we're called and gifted to do, then we'll do something else. We'll try to be like those who get a little bit more recognition and get a little more attention. And we try to become something that's not innate and natural and according, it's not who we are. See, Andrew knew, yeah, you know what, Peter's getting the attention. But I'm going to do what I'm called to do. And he brought people to Jesus. We need to take that seriously because there's a trap. And see, here's the thing we all fall into it. You know, the, the tendency is some people go, Yeah, it's easy for you to say, Chris, because you get up there, you get the attention. And that's true. I do. You know, I'm up here and, and you all see me and, and I get appreciation for things I don't even deserve. People will compliment me on the things you all do because I am the pastor. And so people come up and say, Man, Gosh, you, you do such a great job leading that outreach ministry, that food. I don't. You know, others lead that. But do I get some of the, Yeah, I do. I get some of the recognition. Not fair. I'll take it, but it's not fair. Um, but, but I'm not immune from it because I can fall into that trap. I look and listen to other preachers. That, and that's a wonderful thing to do, but that are a little more famous or a lot more famous more recognition, write more books, get more attention. And see, here's a trap I fall into. Wow, maybe if I'm a little more like them, maybe if I preach just a little bit more like Andy Stanley does, or if I preach just a, a little bit more the way uh, Craig Rochelle does, then, then we'll explode and thousands will come. And God has to remind me, hey, Chris, you're not Andy Stanley. You're not Craig Rochelle. You're you. Use your gifts as I've called you to use them. Leave the rest up to me. And that's a hard thing to do. Andrew did that. He kept doing what he was doing. He never stopped because he knew what Paul would try so hard to communicate to the church. We all have a role to play. We all have a part and all those parts don't get the same recognition and all those parts. Don't get seen the same, but there is not one that is any less important. What I do in the ministry of Jesus Christ is no more important than what you do. It's just different. It's just different. And yes, I get more recognition than some people. I also get more blame sometimes, so it goes both ways. But it's no, no more important. We all have a part to play, and the truth is we're all overshadowed, but we're overshadowed by Christ who's called us to faithfulness and service. And that's important for us to remember. What you do, the gifts that you give, the talents God's birthed in you, they matter and they're important. Don't fall into the trap of of forgetting the why in pursuit of recognition and, and glory, because it can be very, very devastating and dangerous. In the 15th century, there was a, a man by the name of Durer, last name Durer, who was a, a goldsmith, I believe, lived outside Nuremberg. He had 18 children. I should say his wife had 18 children. And, um, and as was the case, he had to work incredibly hard just to feed his family. Working 18 hours a day, doing any job he could find to make money just to, to provide In a time when the sons very often would grow up to follow in the footsteps of the father, um, his two boys, or two of his boys, felt a different calling. They had a, a passion and a gift for art. And that's what they wanted to do. But there was no way their father could pay for them to go to the academy in Nuremberg. So laying in bed one night, they hatched a plan. And they decided that... They would flip a coin, and whoever won the coin toss would go to the art academy, and whoever lost the coin toss would stay behind and would begin to work in the mines to make the money to pay for the other brother to go to the arts academy. At the end of the four years of study, the one who went to school would come back and would do whatever it took, whether it was through art or whether it was through going to the mines himself, would then trade places, and would go into the mines to work to support the other brother's education and so they flipped the coin and albrecht durer won the coin toss and so albrecht went off to the academy and his brother albert went down into the mines albrecht durer was a star student in fact in no time his work was more acclaimed and recognized and and better than those of his professors Uh, his etchings his oil paintings his uh Engravings, uh, his, his uh, uh, in, uh, carvings were, were more recognized as, as talented and gifted. And so when he finished his education, four years later, he was already beginning to earn money from his, his artwork. And so he went back home, and the family had kind of a celebration for his homecoming. And there at the table, at the end, of the dinner he stood up to propose a toast and he thanked them for their love and he thanked them for support and then he looked at his brother Albert and he thanked his brother and he said you have supported me it's your turn now it's your turn now and the story is told that tears were running down his brother's face and he just shook his head and he said no 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 and he stood up and he put his hands to his face and he said brother I cannot go my hands have gotten smashed repeatedly working the mines. My fingers are arthritic. I can't even hold this goblet to share in your toast. I cannot hold a brush or hold a pencil. Now it is your time now. 450 years have passed, and today, or even probably more than 450, that much of the artwork of Albrecht Dürer um, hangs in museums or. Um, uh, in collections around the world, his paintings, his carvings, his sketchings, his engravings. Uh, but the chance is you've not heard of him. Some of you may have, some of you that are in that world, but, but I hadn't. Maybe, probably most of you hadn't. But there is a painting you're probably familiar with. One day, Albrecht Dürer decided to honor his brother by painting a picture of those hands that had supported him and made his work possible. And so with his brother's hands facing, palms inward and fingers up, he painted this picture. It's called the hands. You probably know it as the praying hands. When we see that picture, let it remind us we all have a role to play. Sometimes we're called to hold the brush. Sometimes we're called to bust the stone for the one who will hold the brush. But neither is no less significant. Without the hands of Albert, the works of Albert would never have been known. You have a role to play, as do I. My prayer is that we play it well, and we play it faithfully. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, who's called us and gifted us all, that we'd use those gifts in the service of our Lord, that we'd be overshadowed not by one another, but by Jesus, who has poured his grace into us and covers us with his forgiveness and love. And may we respond in faithfulness in whatever way you've called us that we'd not quit and we'd not stop until the day comes we enter your glory. In Jesus' name.